0: Now turn with me in your Bibles, if you have one, to Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35. This is part of a series entitled Soul-Searching Prayer that uh, will run for one more week before we begin our uh, main series morning and evening for this first term. Soul-Searching Prayer. We've uh, looked last week at praying guilt, or how do we deal with guilt? How does prayer help us? How do we focus uh, our prayer life in response to guilt? And tonight, we're going to look at what uh, many of the Bible commentators describe as the other Lord's Prayer. And uh, two weeks back, Some of you will have been here when Scott preached on uh, Ezekiel chapter 37 and the prayer in Ezekiel about uh, how big our conception of God is as we pray. And I want you to hold that in your minds tonight we're going to think about the need of the world, the harvest fields of the world, which is the, uh, the people God wants to bring into his kingdom, whether that's in uh, Mali. We have folks in the church going back to Mali in a few months. Whether it's in Marchment, and they could not be more disparate as communities, Mali and Marchment. But the great need of our world is people to be brought into God's kingdom, and the great need in order to do that is workers who will tell them the gospel. And as we look out on the harvest fields of Scotland, and as we look out of the harvest fields in Africa or wherever, there's a bit in us that just wants to despair, thinking, how on earth will we meet that need? And the answer is we won't, God will. They're His harvest fields. And the God to whom we pray the Lord Jesus Christ we pray that he will raise up workers for his harvest field is the God that Scott reminded us of far bigger perhaps than we think so with that uh, by way of intro let's read these few verses in Matthew chapter 9 Matthew 9:35 9, to 38 Jesus Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray as we begin. Our Father, these are simple verses to understand in one sense, but they are important and they are powerful. And it might be tonight that someone here listens and you speak directly to them in terms of their being called to be a gospel worker. Lord, it might be tonight that the application of this in our life as a church and individually is to give ourselves to earnest prayer for gospel workers, for the global harvest fields. And Lord, for all of us here tonight, we are all called We are all called to be speakers of the gospel in our communities, in our workplaces, in our families, and in this city in which you have placed us. So there's no room for any of us to drift off to sleep. We pray that you would open up our ears and open up our hearts to listen and to respond and to be thrilled. That to be a Christian is to be caught up in this great and glorious enterprise to take the gospel of God to every nation of the earth, and that one day, as we have sung, your people will be united in a new creation, and there will be no need to evangelize then, but there is a great need now, and the harvest fields are vast and white, and yet there is an urgent need for workers to bring the harvest in. So help us to listen by your Spirit, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it's always helpful to set a Bible passage into its context in the book it's uh, in. Um, We were in St. Andrews on holiday this summer, and uh, we spent, or some of those in our family, spent a fair bit of time watching the golfers play on the famous Links. And uh, if you know St. Andrews, the 1st and 18th uh, fairways are uh, bisected by a little stream called the Swilken Burn, a little stream that has claimed uh, many a golf ball, sometimes of the best golfers in the world. And uh, just off the 18th tee, there's a famous bridge called the Swilken Bridge. I can see some of you who are golfers smiling. I can see others of you glazing over. What on earth is he talking about? And the Swilkin Bridge is the most famous bridge on any golf course in the world. And when you're at St. Andrews, everybody who is playing on the old course, and I guess you don't get many opportunities to play on it unless you live in St. Andrews, they always have a photo on the Swilkin Bridge. Jack Nicholas, when he played his last round at the Open, stopped in front of all the cameras at his photo taken on that little bridge. Now this little section in Matthew's Gospel, nine thirty five to thirty-eight, functions like a bridge that connects two parts of the Gospel. Just read with me again, thirty-five, verse thirty-five. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Now turn back in your Bibles to chapter four and verse 23. Chapter 4 and verse 23. Let me read that. And he, Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Matthew 4.23, Matthew 9.35 are virtually identical as verses. And when you find that in a book of the Bible, when you find it in a gospel book, your antenna goes up and you think the writer wrote these two verses to be identical as kind of bookends, yeah? And that's exactly what the writer is doing. They're identical verses signifying two brackets around a section in Matthew's gospel. And the content of that section, chapter four twenty three through chapter 9, verse 35, is a description of the ministry of the Lord Jesus. So 423 to 935, a description of the ministry of the Lord Jesus. And uh, it includes, for example, the so-called Sermon on the Mount, that extended block of teaching in 5 through 7. So on one side of the Swilkin Bridge, as it were, the ministry of Jesus. Now, on the other side of the bridge, chapter 10, the focus shifts. Look in your Bibles. You see that with the headings. In chapter 10, the focus shifts from the ministry of Jesus, yeah, 4 through 9, to chapter 10, the ministry of the apostles as Jesus sends them out. And Matthew 10 is often called the mission discourse. The ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ gives way to the mission discourse of the apostles. Now, it's obvious, I think, what Matthew is doing. In these little verses, 35 to 38, they're not a kind of uh, linguistic device or a stylistic filler in the text. They are there to bridge one side with the other. They're there to link one side with the other. And the point is that the ministry of the apostles and the ministry of the church and your ministry and my ministry, if it is to be kingdom ministry, has to intersect and be patterned on and look like Jesus' ministry. That's the point. You see that? So, every real Christian gospel worker, every real Christian evangelist, Whether famous or like all of us here, unknown, every true, genuine gospel worker has to trace back their ministry in terms of shared convictions and priorities with the Lord Jesus. He's the reference, he's the standard for every true gospel worker, which is why at the end of our passage, we are to pray that he, the Lord of the harvest, Jesus, would send out his workers into the harvest field. You see, what Jesus wants all over this world are his kingdom workers. The king needs people who will share the convictions of the king if the king's kingdom is to grow. And that makes sense, doesn't it? It's the fusion of the two, the building of the bridge. Okay, now I used a golfing analogy, and that's waggling on the tee, so we're fine. Three points, okay? You see them on the sheet. Gospel, conviction, and compassion. A plentiful harvest, but not enough workers. Praying to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. You see, it's not rocket science to see what is going on here. Uh, What uh, Matthew does for us is focus on the gospel convictions and the gospel compassion of the Lord Jesus. And of course, what's welling up in your heart as a Christian, or should be, is do I share these gospel convictions, and do I share the same compassions as him? And then Jesus is going to look out, and he would be standing, I guess, in the middle of fields in Palestine, and he's going to look out, and we're going to look out on the harvest fields, and they're going to be full of grain and full of souls, and yet there's nobody bringing in the harvest. And then we're going to finish up by asking the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. So it's not hard to understand. It's just hard to obey. It's hard to make praying for this an urgent priority for us. So first, gospel conviction and compassion. Let's read verse 35 one more time. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Jesus Christ, the king and head of the church, the king of God's kingdom, is first and foremost, first and last, a gospel preacher. The only difference between Jesus' gospel preaching and my gospel preaching as a minister of the gospel, and your gospel gossiping if you just explain the gospel, the the only difference is that he points to himself. We point at him. There's no other difference. He's a gospel preacher. And what is the gospel of the kingdom that he preaches? That he died for sinners, and that through repentance and faith in Christ alone, sinners can be made right in God's sight and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and everlasting life. That is the gospel of the kingdom, and there is no other gospel of the kingdom. Clear gospel convictions. So whether you live in Mali or Marchmont, these two disparate communities, if you like, then what people need to hear, what the children of Mali need to hear is no different from what the children who we pray God willing will come to impact need to hear is the gospel of the king, the gospel of the kingdom. Not a different gospel, not a spin on that gospel, but the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of God. For there is no other gospel that advances the kingdom of God. Now, other messages that purport to be the gospel might be effective in, for example, filling a church, might be effective in leading to many, many followers. Those who speak some other message might have many followers, They might have hundreds of hits online every week for their sermons, but if it is not the gospel of the king, if it is not repent and believe and come into his kingdom, then it will not advance the kingdom of God on the earth. And that is what matters. I've heard it described like this. The gospel is like a lifeline thrown to people who are drowning. There is no point in throwing them a lifeline if that lifeline is not securely fastened to the boat. See the analogy. There's no point in chucking a lifeline out. Somebody grabs hold of it for their life, and they find that its rope has come loose from the boat. And there is no point in a preacher preaching something that is not the gospel of the kingdom of God, because it's like throwing out in your church a lifeline, and weary souls, hungry souls, troubled souls, reach out and grab that lifeline, find that it's not connected to Jesus, what a travesty. Now, why is this prayer here because think of our country as one country, all over our country, and it needs to be said because it 's true. and you can make the call of whether I might be one of them. All over this country, people in churches are chucking out lifelines called the gospel, which aren 't the gospel. People are grabbing hold of these life boys and holding on to them for dear life for life, for everlasting life, and they are not fastened to Jesus Christ. Hence the urgency of the prayer that the Lord of the harvest would send out gospel workers into his harvest field. And don't think the world of mission is necessarily all that different. Sometimes I think that when you think of people who go overseas to share the gospel, they will always be crystal clear in the gospel. They're not Hence the prayer that God would send out his workers into the harvest fields. And we need that edge, too, in our personal evangelism. Jesus was a gospel preacher. Now, he preached the good news, 35, but he also healed every disease and sickness. Why did Jesus heal every disease and sickness? Now, that's a good question. And people often would ask me that question as a minister. Should we not have a healing ministry? Now, let me tell you, in Jesus' own words, why he healed every disease and sickness. For two reasons. One, to establish his authority as God. Think of, uh, it's in my mind, Mark 2, for the example, so that you may know, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Rise up and walk. That is why Jesus healed every disease and sickness, to establish his divinity, his status as God. Second reason, he healed every disease and sickness to show us, to show us face up if we live with him and to show us as we read the Gospels what the new creation, what that eternal home of which we sung earlier will be like where there is no pain, no sickness and no tears. That is not this world, that is that world. That is why Jesus healed every disease and sick. And remember that every person he healed in the Gospels died. And what was most important for them at the end of their life? Knowing that Jesus Forgiven their sins, that is not harsh, it is not lacking compassion, it is Jesus dealing what is the greatest human need, the greatest need of the human soul, that is the forgiveness of their sins and their reconciliation to God now it 's a constant battle and struggle for us in the church. You cannot speak the gospel to somebody if you do not exhibit to them and show to them gospel compassion and love. Uh, One of the things uh, I was preaching at at Rupert's induction service on Sunday night, and and one of the things Paul says in Thessalonians is that we did not share only the gospel of God with you. We shared also our lives. But never, 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 never did the Apostle Paul, how uh, when he cared for people, when he shared his life with them, never, ever, ever did he fail to tell them the gospel of the kingdom. Because in the end of the day, you and I will all die. In the end of the day, every person in this nation, this city, will die. Every person in Africa, in Mali, where Jen and Richard are going to to die. They're either going to die having heard and responded to the gospel of the kingdom, or they're not. Whatever we do in our world, whatever we do in our society, whatever great political movement there is, the only thing that will save us for eternity is the gospel of the kingdom. Now, we've got to wrestle with that, all of us. We've got to contextualize our ministry where we are. It's absurd if we do not help those who are hungry and feed them. It's absurd. It's heartless. But it's not the gospel. Verse 36. These are Jesus' convictions, telling people the gospel. Telling people the gospel the gospel. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, Jesus had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, I have promised my children and wife that I'm not going to use any holiday stories ever again, but here's the last one. <laughs> have you ever encountered on a road sheep without a shepherd? Or in this case, that I'm going to tell you cows without, I was going to say a shepherd, but I don't know if that's true. A cow shepherd. A farmer, farmer, that's it. <laughs> We encountered a herd of cows, well, three, (laughs) on a little road in Cornwall, you know, on a little road blocking the road, and there's a farmer there who's just mocking me, thinks I'm an idiot. (laughs) I'm not. They're scary cows. And then they were on the road, and you just don't know what to do, do you? Yeah? And you got out of the car, and you say things like, shoo. (laughs) And they don't move, and... And, uh, and then they sort of advance on you, the cows, and you feel a little frightened. Um, and, of course, these animals are harassed. And they've no idea. They're, they're frightened. They're anxious. And uh, they see you and they run. And then all of a sudden, the, the farmer turned up. You know he's a tar- farmer because he had one of these um, sort of mechanized little vehicles, a quad bike, I think. And he turned up. And that was it. Herded back into the field. You know, farm animals cannot exist and function without a farmer. Sheep cannot exist and function. They would not survive. They would not be protected. They would not be fed without a shepherd. When he saw the crowds, Jesus had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, the phrase sheep without a shepherd is used throughout the Old Testament. For example, in Ezekiel and Zechariah, it has a particular meaning. It means the people of God without strong spiritual leadership. The people of God have leaders, but these leaders were not shepherding them. They were not leading them clearly and strongly. They were not leading them in straight paths. We might say that the people of God in Jesus' day were being led by leaders without clear gospel convictions. And if anything gets under the skin of the Lord Jesus, it is that it moves him to compassion, it makes him angry. The word translated compassion in your Bibles, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion, uh, means uh, in Greek, more literally, gut-wrenching anguish. Charles Spurgeon said this, commenting on this verse, Jesus, I quote, sympathies, were awakened. He could not look upon a mass of people with an indifferent countenance, His inmost soul was stirred. And you see what's going on in the Lord Jesus' heart. He has clear gospel convictions. And what what moves him in anguish is when he sees God's people, when he sees people who are being led by people who do not share his convictions. Breaks his heart. Breaks his heart. So what does the Lord Jesus see or feel as he looks at Scotland today? And what do we see and feel as we look at Scotland today? The Lord Jesus looks out and he rejoices where there are churches with clear gospel convictions. He rejoices where there are individuals who share that gospel as clearly and as faithfully as he can. But it breaks his heart It breaks his heart to look out at churches the length and breadth of any country and to see people who come to church week in, week out and look for a lifeline and are not being led by true under-shepherds of Jesus. Now, these sermons have great risks because you might be thinking that I'm standing six feet above contradiction. You need to know that I'm not doing that. These sermons search our hearts as ministers, as preachers. Am I really telling you the true gospel? Am I really sure that I am? Or am I blunting the edges? Am I spinning it in some way? These things break Jesus' heart. And they should break our heart. One of the most moving moments in my Christian life was when we were in London, and the Australian evangelist John Chapman, known as Chapo, who's gone to be with God in glory now, he was speaking in St. Helens in the city. And he spoke carefully, I think, that night, and he acknowledged this. He spoke carefully, given the danger of emotional manipulation. But he conveyed unmistakably how affected he was by what he said. And what he was trying to do, he was trying to convey what it is like to be harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. What life is like for someone who does not have the Lord Jesus as their shepherd. And he said this. This is how he described what it's like. The Lord is not my shepherd. I am therefore in terrible want. No one leads me beside quiet waters. I can't work out what life is about. I'm wandering around bereft. No one leads me in paths of righteousness. I'm an aimless wanderer. When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, terrible fear grips hold of me because I am totally alone and there is no prospect of my dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. Now, that is a description of the majority of people in the city by far. And that breaks the Lord Jesus' heart. And he longs for their salvation And it crushes the Lord Jesus when he sees churches where people are not being shepherded and appointed to Jesus. And of course, the the challenge of listening to these words should well up within all of us as Christians, the desire to be used by God to share the gospel. So number two, a plentiful harvest, but not enough uh, workers. And in a sense, what we need to carry into point number two is, do we share the convictions of the Lord Jesus, the gospel of the King, and is what made him broken-hearted as he looked out at the crowds what makes us broken-hearted? Number two, a plentiful harvest but not enough workers. Verse 37, Jesus is now speaking directly to the disciples Then Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, the workers, are few. Now, I have a friend. His name is William Mackenzie. He runs Christian Focus Publications. And uh, the headquarters of Christian Focus are in Tain, Easter Ross, in the middle of farmland. The Mackenzie family have a large farm. And uh, I remember being there in early September, this time of year, I guess, and the harvest was ready to be gathered in. The sun was shining, the grain was ripe for harvest. William even let me sit in a combine harvester. He didn't let me have a shot, but he let me sit in it. And think of that image in your minds. And, and it, all of this is in danger of scent. Just think of a harvest field. Some of us might find that hard if we're city people, but think of it. The, the harvest field is ready and ripe for harvest. When we were in St. Andrews on and holiday, we walked along the Fife coastal path. The, the path took us inland, and we walked through all these fields, Of of grain, of harvest ready, and they were swishing in the wind, and they were just ripe and ready. That's what the image is here. And Jesus would have said, look there, look there. They would have been around the disciples. The harvest is plentiful. Now, in your mind's eye, look at Edinburgh. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful. No, it's not. He says it is. He says, there are many people in this city I want to bring into my kingdom. There are many people in communities that I want to bring into my... There are many people in this nation of Scotland that I want to bring into my kingdom. The harvest fields are vast and wide always. In Africa, in China, any country of the world, the harvest is plentiful. Jesus says it is. That is a picture of hope, therefore it should give you hope. It is a picture of promise, therefore you should not doubt it. It is a picture of fruitfulness. It should well up in your heart. I want to be someone whom God can use to bring in that harvest. And you're sitting there like me thinking, well, that's their church, not this church. That's their ministry, not mine. Sometimes I feel in the church, if only we would believe the promises of the Lord Jesus. Harvest is plentiful. It is encouraging to hear Jesus speak in these terms, Jen and Richard. Uh, we will spend more and more time with you over the coming weeks before you go back to Mali, uh, praying with you, praying for that uh, country. What, in many ways, I, I'm trying to learn as much as I can about it. It's a beleaguered country. It's a country that has been ravaged by war, by civil war, by terrorism. By all, but the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. Thinking back to that harvest scene in Easter Ross, Mr. Mackenzie's farm, I don't know precisely how the harvest was gathered in. Uh, Well, I do know this much. Combined harvesters and an increase in the workforce. William was telling me that when harvest comes, they hire all sorts of extra hands to bring in the harvest. And and there are moments when the harvest fields are white and ripe and the sun is shining and the wind is blowing. You grasp the moment You answer, you respond, you go. You heed the call. We have strong connections. I'm alluding to that tonight with Wycliffe Bible translators, uh, Jen and Richard, as they go back uh, to Mali. Uh, When you listen to them speaking about the progress of Wycliffe, it's hugely encouraging, but the need still is vast. So many languages still to be translated. So many people groups in the world to hear. Think of uh, Scotland. Vivian Dixon was speaking this morning. Uh, She was speaking about people in her generation, people in their 50s, their 60s, their 70s, who know something of the gospel, and mm, people who will be coming to impact have never heard the name of Jesus, possibly other than as a swear word. What a need. What an opportunity. What a need and an opportunity. The vision of the gospel partnership in the city. Emma prayed for two new churches. That's great. It's really great. And yet, there were a few suggestions on Friday night as we celebrated these new churches from some people that they weren't the right kind or flavor of new churches. Wow. We should rejoice And new gospel communities. If... Edinburgh is to have 5% of its population within touching distance, within community touching distance of a living church. We need between 50 and 150 new churches, even to scratch the surface. So what do we do? Do we chuck in the towel? Do we despair? Or do we pray that God will raise up gospel workers to fill these churches, And, and God's Spirit will move, and these churches will be filled? What do we do? Ask the Lord of the harvest to raise up gospel workers to fill the need. Now, thirdly, and finally, and here's the sting in the tail. Therefore, pray endlessly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And, of course, any preacher can can rouse up emotions. Yeah, I could say, look, hands up, sign up, now go. Now, that may happen for someone here. But Jesus doesn't say, hands up, sign up, go. He says, pray. And there's that massive moment of deflation in your heart as a Christian. Don't get on a plane, get on your knees. Maybe in the future, get on your knees so that others might get on a plane. Pray earnestly. Pray earnestly, not casually. What is earnest praying driven by? Gospel convictions and gospel compassion for the need. Pray earnestly. Not nostalgically. Don't cast your mind into the past because the days were not as glorious as history books pretend they were. Cast your minds into the present and pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, Jesus, that he would send out laborers into his harvest. It's not go, it's pray. It might be pray, then go. It might be that you are the answer to your own prayer, but the call to the church is pray. Why? 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 The reason it is pray is because it is the Lord Jesus who chooses, who calls, and who sends. Why is it the Lord Jesus who chooses and calls and sends? Because he wants to hold on to the priority of sending people out whose convictions and compassions he shares and they share with him. The church's job is to attest, to discern the rightness of someone's sense of call. And and what is a church to look for? If someone comes forward and says, I want to be a gospel worker in this country, I want to go on a plane to Africa, what is it that the church should look for? They should look for someone who shares the same gospel convictions as the Lord Jesus. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? And they want to look for someone who shares the same gospel compassion as the Lord Jesus for the harvest fields of the world. They might have twenty five PhDs or none. They might be six foot three or two foot six. It makes no difference. Do they know the gospel? And do they burn with compassion for the lost souls of this city, of this country, and of the world? Now let me finish up by encouraging you that in the challenging days in which we live in Scotland, there are encouraging signs that God is beginning to answer this prayer. And I think it's good for us just for a moment to allow ourselves to think that he might be. (laughs) Because we think, well, no, he's not going to do that. It's just down and down and down, isn't it? God is raising up a new generation of gospel workers. Some will fall through the cracks. Some will prove not to be the real thing. But many of them will be. There are very singular developments in our country in terms of Organizations opening up its doors to train people. They're not asking questions like, which tribe of the church were you from? What they're asking is, what do you understand to be the gospel of the king? And where is your heart burning within you? There are people across our country whom God has put into positions of significant wealth, who have two things burning within them, clear gospel convictions and clear gospel compassion. Most of them don't have the gift of the gap, so they can't speak the gospel very well, but they give their gospel money to train people for the work of the gospel. You would expect to see that Now, the danger in all of this is the people who give, the people who train, the people, the churches who do all of this, that they think, and this risk runs all the time, they think it was them. And they've got to remember all of the time, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out his workers into the harvest field. One of the powerful things about Rupert's induction on Friday night is... You know what happens in induction? People are going to say, you know, he's been trained in the Tron for 100 years, and, and he has, and it's been wonderful. And, and people like Willie, Philip, the minister, have invested in him. And, and I remember Willie turned to me on Friday and he said, there's nothing to do with us. The Lord Jesus has sent out his worker into the harvest field. And that's such a powerful testimony, isn't it? And here in Chalmers, a big part of our ministry is training. Guys like Andy and Sam, saw Emma on her feet tonight for the first time. It's not about gift to the gab. Emma's got that. But what matters for her, for Davy, for Ian, for Alistair, for Andy, for Sam, for me, for you is clear gospel convictions. Do you sing the gospel of the king? And those spin. And does your heart is your heart moved? When you think of your street, or your workplace, or your school playground, and if it's not, pray that it would be. When you think of this country, when you think of Africa, is your heart moved within you? And, and if it is, if you have clarity, you might be someone who gets on a plane. You might be a minister of the gospel. You will all, we will all be evangelists. But, but you know where, where this passage leaves us? What's the primary application? In every church, every service that hears this sermon, who are the people in this room who are going to give themselves to earnest prayer? That's the key application. Who are these special saints who will earnestly pray that God will raise up a new generation of gospel workers for his harvest fields? These are the people who'll get the biggest mansions of glory. The people who pray for the harvest will be uh, brought in. And every generation despairs, I guess. Oh, not this generation. It's all gone wrong. That's precisely the time when God's people are moved to their knees to pray. Let's do that now. Lord Jesus, these are simple verses and yet so strong and moving in some ways. We pray, Lord, that we would understand them. We pray that some perhaps might be convicted of the need and it might be them that is to go. We pray that we would all be convicted of the need to go and tell the gospel in our neighborhoods and to our work colleagues and to our family and friends. And Lord, we don't feel that need. I don't feel that need for my neighbors across the road. Give me that need. Give me that burden by your Holy Spirit. Give it to us all. Give us the convictions of the King and the compassion of the King. Help us not to confuse good stuff with the very best stuff. Help us to speak to people words that will see them safe for all eternity. And may we never give up, Lord, that the Lord of the harvest cannot raise up a whole new generation of gospel workers, of leaders, of of evangelists, of ordinary people like us to be part of this great commission. We pray, Lord, tonight for people like Jen and Richard sitting here who are called by you to go to harvest fields that many of us just couldn't in a million years imagine we would survive in. But Lord, just now as we pray, by your Spirit, put into their minds and hearts that the harvest fields of Mali are vast and white. There are many people, many people who don't even understand the gospel yet because it's not in their language that you will call into your kingdom because people will go and tell them the gospel of the King. And Lord, in our country, with its great need, thank you for these two new inductions on Friday. Lord, we pray that this city will see many churches planted. And we pray most of all tonight, Lord, that each of us would listen and take upon ourselves that responsibility that falls to all of us, to be on our knees and to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, the Lord Jesus, that he would send out workers into the harvest field. And so, Lord Jesus, will you do that? Will you send out send out workers into the harvest fields of this city, this nation, this world, in a new and a renewed and a revitalizing way so that many people will be brought into your kingdom? And Lord, don't let any of us off with not answering that call in some way Maybe just to pray, and yet that would be the most vital thing. Seal it now into our minds and hearts as we sing, in Jesus' name. Amen.